Hi, my name is Robbie Wilson, and I'm an academic from the University of Queensland in Australia. Like most academics, I'm often overworked and stressed. Although I could complain to you all day about my stress issues, and there are many, I'm going to try to become more informed about the broader range of stress responses in the animal world. Who knows, I might even learn something about my own physiological responses. So today, I'm talking with Lana DeSantis, who is lead author of the functional ecology paper titled Mediating Free Glucocorticoid Levels in the Blood of Vertebrates. Good morning, Lana. So the project is on, on stress and stress hormones. Could you give us a, 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 a quick rundown on what are glucocorticoids and what is their main function? Sure. So glucocorticoids are um, the, main, the main stress hormone that the body uses to deal with um, stress. So this happens sort of at basal levels in our, our everyday lives, but also uh, with, with the stress response that permits survival both in us and in, in wild uh, vertebrate organisms. So the two main uh, glucocorticoids are cortisol and corticosterone. Um, some species possess mainly cortisol, including we humans, um, and others have corticosterone. Some have both. Um, so, so what happens is the stress axis sort of starts at the level of the brain. We perceive a stressor, and eventually the adrenal glands release these glucocorticoids or these stress hormones, um, and they sort of function to, to provide energy um, in the stress response to sort of sustain that fight-or-flight response that we have uh, immediately to a stressor. Right, okay. So uh, what... What are the two main mechanisms that limit the impact of glucocorticoids on the body? Right. So the, the vertebrate body, body has two main regulatory systems within the stress axis. So, so one is um, the negative feedback system, and that occurs at the level of the brain. So once uh, a stressor sort of uh, subsides, and all of these glucocorticoids are, are built up in the bloodstream. Um, they sort of feed back to receptors in the brain, and when these receptors are full, the stress axis shuts down that adrenal production of, of cortisol and, and the stress hormones. Um, and the second system is sort of um, something that occurs in our blood. So we all possess um, a large protein that's called corticosteroid binding globulin, and this is produced in the liver, um, and its main function, um, at least as we know it from the biomedical literature, is to sort of mop up all those um, free glucocorticoids that are circulating in our blood. Um, and the, the reason it does this is to sort of regulate uh, the, the use of these stress hormones and to sort of keep them back from constantly activating um, the tissue receptors in our cells. Because um, if, if this were to happen, uh, we, we would start to see negative effects of stress, whereas in the short term, those effects are really quite adaptive. Right, okay. So there's an important function for the, this CBG um, molecule. Right. Yeah. So um, how does this relate to the free hormone hypothesis that you mentioned in your, in your paper? Right. So the free hormone hypothesis... Um, um, it, it's the free fraction of hormones, so that not bound to CBG in the blood, right. um, that, that's, that's able to pass into cells, activate receptors, 
and that's what causes all the gene expression and, and sort of protein production for, for biological action. Um, and so CBG is sort of holding, uh, holding this free hormone back. I guess you could think of it as a, a reservoir um, until this, this um, bodily function is needed by the stress hormone. Right. So it's keeping it bound rather than free because free is what, is what causes the activation. Okay. So if I get this right, that most previous studies on mammals have shown that there's reasonably high levels of CBG, so there's not m much um, glucocorticoids floating around the, the, the body at any one time. But that's not what you found in the flying squirrels. Is that right? That's correct. Um, so, so as I mentioned before, what we know from the biomedical literature and also what, what we're showing in this study here is that the majority of vertebrate species seem to have about 90% of their total um, stress hormone levels bound to CBG most of the time. Uh, but what we found in, in these two flying squirrel species, so the, the northern and southern flying squirrels um, found in North America, uh, they seem to only have about 10% of their total hormone levels bound. Um, and, and their total hormone levels, in addition to that low level of binding, are, are vastly um, increased compared to other species. So, so even in species we thought before had somewhat high levels, um, which are the, the red squirrels, the tree squirrel species, yeah. compared to several ground squirrel species we work on, these flying squirrels have up to 10 times higher levels of cortisol than they do. Right, okay. So you actually compared these sorts of levels across the types of mammals. Um, I think it was 90-something species you looked at. So how common was this flying squirrel-type response? Right, so we were able to, to compare the flying squirrels to 91 other species from the literature, and this is um, from all vertebrate, vertebrate groups, so from fish, amphibians, reptiles, birds, and mammals. And um, they're, they're actually quite unique. We found them to be only similar to one other group. So there's a group of uh, New World monkey species in South America, um, the squirrel monkey and several species of, of marmoset that also possess sort of similar stress axis traits to these flying squirrels. And, and these traits in the monkeys were um, shown previously in the literature and, and it's quite a well-known study. So now we have this, this second unique, I guess somewhat unique group. Um, oh, very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So over the last few years, I've, I've been lucky enough to, to work in a remote area of northern Australia on a species called the northern quoll, which is one of those desiurid species that, um, that goes through the, the big male die-off, so that the males breed for, well, they run around as much as they can for for two or three weeks and try and get as many copulations as they can and they basically run down their whole systems destroy themselves and they lose hair and they look shabby little animals um, right. so this sort of desiurid um, stress response or lack thereof is is quite famous in in this literature how does it compare with the flying squirrel um, type response right so so the desiurids are a good example to, to put the situation in the flying squirrels into perspective. Um, so like you said, these semiparous males, meaning they, they breed 
a short number of times, and then basically cortisol takes over their body and causes them to die. Um, and so the flying squirrels have these high levels of cortisol all the time, but we don't see this in their mating system. They live for several years, and they're able to have um, one and sometimes two, two litters per year, and, and we know that they live for up to three or four years in the wild. Um, so, so what we're seeing here is actually glucocorticoid resistance, which is also what the monkeys are experiencing. So um, we know in the monkeys they have um, altered tissue receptors that have a, a much lower, lowered affinity for cortisol, and so they don't get that constant activation of cellular activity even though they have these high levels. Um, so there, there's, there's a resistance there, and this is likely the situation with the flying squirrels as well. So tell me, if they've got this resistance to, to cortisol, then surely there's some biomedical researchers out there that will be interested in the mechanisms involved in whether we can market this and provide it to a stressed-out young academic. Um, what, what are your thoughts about um, this sort of physiology and, and whether it's, uh, it can be adapted to, to the, the biomedical literature? Um, okay, so I think um, in a comparative sense, this, this finding in the flying squirrels and, and certainly what we know in the monkeys is, is very useful to the biomedical literature um, because it, it sort of help, helps us understand how the stress axis um, functions and sort of how it's capable of adapting. And so when we look at, um, when we sort of, I guess, map these physiological aspects onto um, a species ecology, we start to understand what, uh, what their adaptations are doing, doing for them. And so I think if we compare these two groups, the monkeys and flying squirrels, to things like our lab mice and rats and even ourselves, um, it's sort of going to give us a sense of um, how, how the stress axis is actually fun functioning. Right. And, and with their... With their mutated CBG, these groups will likely provide a good model for sort of looking at alternative functions of CBG, other than that that buffer role that I mentioned, yeah. uh, because there are there is evidence for other roles for it as well. So, can, can you really speculate about speculate about what the function of of this um, CBG mutation is in the flying squirrels? Um, at this point, I I can't say if if their CBG is still functional at all, um, right. that's sort of some next steps for me. Uh, and, and we know that it's definitely, uh, there is mutation and, and low uh, affinity in the, in the monkeys. We have evidence of that. It seems to be the same in the flying, squirrel, uh, flying squirrels, but no one's yet sort of looked at if their CBG functions in other ways because what's really key is that these functions rely on cortisol binding to that CBG. And, and with that reduced affinity, um, we're, we're not sure if it, it still provides some function because in these species it's not providing that, that buffer right. um, or, or if it may be just vestigial. Okay. Well, Lana, thank you very much for discussing your work with us. It's fascinating stuff and I love the study animal too.